The Living Traditions Festival is back Friday, May 17th through Sunday, May 19th at Washington Square Park in downtown Salt Lake City. You will find a global food court, live music, performances, art, workshops, Bohemian Brewery, and stuff for kids. Full disclosure, this is my favorite Salt Lake Festival. For details and to see the full program, visit livingtraditionsfestival.com or find them on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. The Salt Lake City School District will close four elementary schools at the end of the school year. Plus, the legislative session kicks off in just a few days, and we've got picks of the week. Stick around because CityCast's Andrea Salenzi is hosting a sponsored interview about Roland Hall, an independent school in Salt Lake City. It's Friday, January 12th. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Good morning, executive producer Emily Means. Happy Friday. Good morning, host Ali Vallarta. Very snowy week we've had, and the snow will continue. Oh, my goodness. Squalls on squalls on squalls. <laughs> squalls on squalls. The the word on everyone's lips. Can I tell you, I was leaving a bar class the other day at Trolley Square, and there was a woman standing. It was right as one of the squalls was kind of about to hit on her phone, and she was getting that emergency alert that we got mm. this week. And she looks up and goes, what makes it a squall? Like kind of innocently. And there was this woman on the other side of the room who was lacing up her shoes, who'd clearly just kind of had it like with the weather talk, you know, just goes, the wind. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yes, I love a weather event because it brings us all together. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, no better small talk than the weather, right? (laughs) I was like, but clearly you've been the only person who knows what a squall is all day and you're sick of telling people. That's so funny. Yes, we've all become uh, armchair meteorologists this week. (laughs) So good. So good. Um, We do have to give a quick shout out to the Salt Lake City Council. They made some decisions this week regarding leadership. Yes, the council had their first meeting of the year this week where they elected a new council chair, Victoria Petro from District 1. And District 1 is the west side of Salt Lake City. Uh, We we tend to just say the west side, right, and paint it in very broad strokes. But she represents Fair Park, Jordan Meadows, Rose Park, and West Point. Mm. And then- The northwest side. Yes, the northwest side. And then, Ali, the council also selected for the second year in a row- Alejandro Puy to serve as the chair of the Redevelopment Agency Board. So Mm -hmm. we've got two West Side Council members in leadership. That means they can kind of set the agenda for what happens this year. So I think that will be a really interesting dynamic to have them in these positions. I mean, with great power comes great responsibility. True, 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 true. So certainly West Side residents are going to be wondering what they're going to do with it. Yep, yep. Well, and in the past, Ali, um, these two council members, Puy and Petro, have been very vocal about homelessness. And in the last budgeting cycle, they were actually the ones who pushed for funding for the temporary shelter community slash sanctioned camping program. So mm-hmm. I'm very curious to see what more will come from them on the homelessness front. 
It's also interesting to have someone from the West Side chairing the redevelopment agency because redevelopment agencies have in the past been kind of a tool of the state or the city to gentrify neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Can we see maybe a new era now that, you know, it'll be a second year of someone from the West Side in leadership on that agency? And they've got a plan, the gentrification mitigation plan That's called Thriving right. in Place to sort of guide their decision making. Now, of course, just because someone's from, I mean, you know, just because I live in the avenues sure. doesn't mean I'm opposed <laughs> to public transit. Um, so just because someone's from a neighborhood doesn't mean that they share the neighborhood ethos, but it will be interesting to see how they apply, you know, representation to their leadership. Agreed. On the note of representation and leadership, Tell you a job I wouldn't want this week is being a Salt Lake City school board member because Woof. they had a heated, heated meeting at West High School this week where the decision was finally made to close four Salt Lake City elementary schools for good. Mm -hmm. They are Benyon and Hawthorne Elementary Schools on the east side and Mary W. Jackson and Riley Elementary Schools on the west side. It was a four to three vote, the quote unquote wow. tiebreaker being the vote of Salt Lake City School Board President Nate Salazar, who voted for school closures. Yeah. No one left that meeting feeling good. No, Ali, no we've been building to this for almost a year. I think I saw in the Salt Lake Tribune story this process started around February 2023. So mm -hmm. the tension has also been building. There's been a yeah. lot of criticism over how this process has played out, um, whether the school district has been transparent with mm -hmm. how they've come to these decisions. And, you know, we're we're over the decision hump. But now... You know, we're looking to see what happens next as the school district tries to help these students and staff transition to other schools. The students have already been assigned to other schools in the district, although, um, you know, they'll finish out the school year at their current schools. If parents want to send their kids to different schools than what they've been assigned, they can apply during an open enrollment period. I mean, that's going to be messy. Like you want to yeah. be with your friends or what extracurriculars are offered or I mean, it's elementary school. So it's not like I mean, think about closing a high school. It's like, well, I'm on this varsity yeah. team. Like yeah. now I play for who and with who. But still, I mean, I'm graduating next year. <laughs> we know that routine is an important part of early childhood development. And this is a this is huge. Yeah. It's interesting to see the reporting that like this has been a year in the making because it's it's actually been so many more years in the making. Right. Like. The crux of this issue is declining enrollment, which is linked to so many things. Like, And when we say declining enrollment, it's pretty steep. Salt Lake City Schools enrollment has dropped almost 30 percent. That's about 3,000 students. Like, That is a real drop off. But what is it – like how do you get to a state of declining mm -hmm. enrollment? It's linked to – I mean and nationally, by the way, this is a national trend that is also playing out in our backyards. This is not just a Salt Lake City problem. Um, but – Birth rates declining, right. the, the gentrification of cities that makes it expensive and difficult for families to live there, trends of white flight, families leaving for suburban and rural areas and not inhabiting city centers the way that they have, programs that incentivize private school attendance over public school attendance. I think 
parents feeling like pulling their kids out of public school is the right choice because of how their school or their state and therefore their public school might have handled the pandemic, the culture war battles that are taking place in these public schools, safety, gun violence, like declining enrollment is like that's a Pandora's box. Yes, it's there are many, many layers. Um Ali, one thing I was thinking with how close this vote was, and my God, to be Nate Salazar to, to cast that tie-breaking vote, um, <sighs> you know, some of these school board seats are up for election this year, mm-hmm. and the rest are up for election in 2026, I believe. Mm-hmm. This issue, I think, of closing schools is going to be a, a big one that we see this election and the next. So, eh, tough time. Especially because Salt Lake City Superintendent Elizabeth Grant, who, by the way, this is her first year on the job, and she took over the reins from sort of a messy transition of power. I mean, it just feels like there has been a lot of chaos at this district, has said this will come up again. Like, this meeting sucked. This vote was difficult to take. These are difficult decisions. And make no mistake, we will be making them again down the road if we continue to see declining enrollment. Like. This isn't a one-and-done decision. So especially with that knowledge that there could be more schools on the docket for closure in the future, yeah, your your point about this potentially being hotly contested seats in an election, so true. One other thing I was curious about, Ali, as we look forward in this process, look ahead in this process, is what is going to happen with the properties, right? Four elementary schools, they have a pretty big footprint, right? And so I called the school district to ask. And as you might imagine, that's a bridge they'll cross in the future. Like right now, they're really focused on the transition plan. Mm -hmm. Um, But what the district told me is that there was actually a school, um, Rosslyn Heights, that was closed 20 years ago in Sugar House in this last school closure process that was Mm. just demolished this week. So the school closed 20 years ago. It was just demolished and they'll be turning it into an athletic field for students. So, you know, there one option potentially for these properties is, you know, looking at the needs of the school district that could be more athletic fields or community spaces. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how these areas change in the next 20 years, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, ultimately, we interviewed Yandere Chatwin, a spokesperson for Salt Lake City School District, way kind of back when this decision-making process was announced. And what she told us was whose decision it is is really the Board of Education on what to do with these schools. I think there is a fear, a bit of an anxiety among some parents and educators and Salt Lakers that what we might see is these former public schools repurposed into private or charter schools. Mm. And the charter school conversation is a whole separate one. Um, Because they are starting to pop up more, I think, in in Utah. But charter schools are basically tuition-free schools that receive government funding but operate independent of the state school system. And so I've heard people speak in fear that that could be a way that these buildings are repurposed. And that would be sort of heartbreaking to see a community school turned into basically a private school. Um, On the note of what happens next, also worth saying – What we've been told by the district is that there will be equivalent employment opportunities made available to staff at all of these schools. So we're not firing a slew of teachers. People will be given employment elsewhere. 
and that's not just teachers. That's school administrators, janitors, like everyone who is involved in making a school run. But it's it's I mean, it's a terrible thing that these school communities are going to have to see each other through for sure. Right. The one last thing to note in terms of what's next is boundary changes. So the remaining 14, I think it is, schools in the Salt Lake City School District that are open are going to undergo some boundary changes. This, like, the ripple effect of these school closures, it is not just going to impact the students at these four closing schools. The remaining schools are going to experience some tectonic shifting as they either take new students or some students might be districted out of their current school as a result of this. So it is a seismic shift. Whenever posture comes up in conversation, we all do that thing where we immediately sit upright and pull our shoulders back. Did you do it just now? I did a movement session with Chandler at Embodied Patience, and after a few gentle corrections, I was surprised to find sitting up straight is incredibly easy. Chandler's practice combines over a decade of study in yoga, Pilates, and the Alexander Technique. So why should you invest in your posture? Let's start with the link between better posture and better breathing. Whether you're returning to activity from an injury, looking to manage pain, or just have the sense things could be a little easier, Chandler will teach you to create sustainable movement habits so that you can enjoy the things you love for longer. Maybe that's running marathons. Maybe it's walking the dog. Visit embodiedpatients.com to book a session with Chandler and give yourself the gift of your own attention. Spring is when leases expire, and if you're looking for a new or better apartment situation, here's the scoop at Ico Fort Union. Fort Union is Ico's newest build in Cottonwood Heights off 1300 East and 6720 South. And as they say in real estate, location, location, location. Ico Fort Union puts you 10 minutes from the mouth of Big Cottonwood Canyon and central to all the Fort Union shops and restaurants, but the complex is located on a dead-end street, so you get peace. Ico Fort Union offers studio, one, two, and three-bedroom apartment homes, plus these very cool three-bedroom work-live apartments, so if you're starting something new, you can live above your business space. Amenities include a pet spa, a spin loft, a bike hub, and EV charging stations. And they are signing leases right now. So visit liveatfortunion.com for a tour. Well, more good news. The legislative (laughs) session is starting. (laughs) Woo! More decisions being made. More frantic phone calls to your representative. More confusing processes that could feel more transparent. (laughs) Well, Allie, in the name of transparency, I thought we could take this time to kind of uh, do a legislative explainer. Mm, schoolhouse rock. A little schoolhouse rockin', but I was actually thinking, um, you remember in Ratatouille where they say anyone can cook? <laughs> um, <laughs> Is that your French accent? <laughs> yes, anyone can cook. 
Mais oui. I, I, I was thinking, you know, really anyone uh, can understand this legislative process. Um, mm-hmm. And full disclosure, before I started working as a journalist, I knew literally nothing about the Utah legislature. I had never even been to the state capitol before. Um, yeah. And, you know, I worked as a political reporter for like at least two years. So suffice it to say, you too can understand what is happening on Capitol Hill. (laughs) I mean, to go from not going to the Capitol to having takes on the state seal versus the new flag is quite the transition. That's what we call a glow up. (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. My legislative glow up. Um, So first of all, what is the general session of the legislature? Well, Mm -hmm. it's 45 days from January to March where all of our elected lawmakers in the state meet to one, pass the budget and two, make laws. Uh, I wanted to really emphasize that passing the state budget is the most important part of the legislature's job. And actually, it needs to be done by the 10th day of the session. So they really front load this process um, to fund state operations because if they don't pass the budget, then I don't know, all hell breaks loose and, you know, we can't process Medicaid applications and, you know, we can't snowplow I-15, stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, 45 days, it really is, it happens at lightning speed, essentially. And it's remarkable how many bills get passed in those 45 days. Lawmakers usually pass around 500 plus bills each legislative session. And so it's kind of a whirlwind experience. Yeah. It's one of the things about how many bills they pass that's always been so interesting to me is it's just like, there's no chance they've all read all of them. Like, for <laughs> yep. sure, lawmakers are taking votes on things they have not read and are just like, sounds good. I don't Certainly, know. Like, <laughs> Certainly. I mean, there's no lie there. Got to pick your battles up here. Like, I'm not reading. I don't have time to. I mean, and a bills can range from being like a reasonable length <laughs> to biblical length. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. So in a way, they're just kind of riffing up there. Yeah. I mean, they're all winging it. And yeah. one other thing to note, which is who? Who is participating in this legislative session? Mm-hmm. Um, all of our lawmakers are part-time lawmakers, which means that they have day jobs. So they are not experts in lawmaking either, necessarily. You right. know, they might be experts in Real estate development. Or real estate <laughs> development or teaching. These are just regular people, right? So there are 75 members of the House. There are 29 members of the Senate. And these two chambers are led by um, their respective leaders, Senate President Stuart Adams and House Speaker Mike Schultz. We've talked a lot about Mike Schultz recently because he is the new House Speaker. Um, But basically what these guys do is set the agenda for the rest of the session. So they are, if you're going to know anyone's names, know your own lawmakers' names and Mm -hmm. also leadership's names. Do you want to know how a bill becomes a law? Sure. All right. I'm going to quickly go through this process. And this is um, the general process. Sometimes it changes depending on where we're at in the session. Uh, So everything starts in the Rules Committee, uh, either the Senate Rules Committee or the House Rules Committee. This committee is very powerful because it determines which bills 
are debated and like which bills are heard by the public. Um, mm. Ali oftentimes will say something like it died in rules. And that's something that I don't know, like politicos or, you know, and nerds like to it's say. It's an but, industry term. <laughs> it's an industry term. But it just means that it never got a chance to be heard by the rest of the legislature and the public. Mm. So the Rules Committee is really important. Uh, the Rules Committee assigns bills to a standing committee where the topic of the bill makes the most sense. So, for example, a bill about education might get assigned to the House or Senate Education Committee. And sometimes it is the case that the Rules Committee assigns a bill elsewhere. Um, I remember one time when I was covering the legislature, they assigned a concealed carry bill to natural resources. And everyone was like, uh, that does make a lot of sense there, guys. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, they kind of sneak it into the committee where it might be received more favorably. But generally, um, it gets assigned to the committee where uh, there's more expertise on the issue. <clears throat> Okay. Any questions? When does it end? Okay, it ends once the bill passes the committee and then is voted on by the full chamber, so the House or the Senate, and then gets through the process on the other side, right? So we go through this whole process from rules to committee to full House or Senate vote. And if it passes both of those processes, um, then it goes to the governor's desk and the governor decides whether to veto it or to sign it into law. And that's when it all ends, my friend. So that's the general process. They take 45 days to consider all of these bills or as many as they can. And and then we all say, hurrah, it's over. We say sign die. We say sign die, actually, which is, which is Latin, Latin for it's over <laughs> or is something. It? No, it's not. I don't know what it is. It's not Latin for it's over. Hold no. on. I'm looking it up. Sign die. It means that proceedings have been adjourned. Oh, sign die is Latin for without a day. Oh. So it's the conclusion of a meeting by deliberative assembly. That's nice. Without. Oh, OK. So it's they say without a day because they're not setting a day to reconvene. Mm hmm. Even though they are, because they've already known when the legislative session starts the next year, right? Yeah, typically. And they also have interim, which is between the two general sessions. But yeah, yeah. that's the process. And um, I did want to give some give people some tools to participate. You can mm -hmm. go up to the Capitol and watch these committee hearings. And, you know, you can even give public comment at these committee hearings. That's the place to do it. You can yeah. message your lawmaker directly. Their cell numbers and emails are on the legislative website. Text them and let them know what you think about a bill. Um, you can also follow organizations that do work around the issues that you're interested in. So you don't need to become an expert on every single bill that's going through the legislative process this session. People are already doing that work, right? So yeah. um, Heal Utah for air quality is a good one. Utah League of Cities and Towns for municipal issues. Mm -hmm. Equality Utah for LGBTQ issues. Follow them and, you know, lean into their expertise a bit. Um, but, yeah, that's how you can get involved this session. One thing that I've learned in years of working for candidates or electeds at all levels of government, not, you know, not necessarily legislative, but also city council. 
when you send someone an email about a bill or about an issue that is really important to you, and to be clear, like, as deeply disillusioned as I can be, I still send those emails, right? Because yeah. I'm like, it's game theory. Like, what if there is a God? You know, what if it does work? Like, it's worth it, it just in case. Because sometimes I feel the decision making is either so bad or that there's a particular bill or idea that has the potential to be so powerful and so wonderful and magnetic. But when you sit down to write that message, make it personal. Include Good your idea. address, include your full name, talk about your personal relationship to that thing. And it does not have to be an essay, to be clear. Like, it can be just a couple sentences. But like, instead of, I know sometimes it's easier and these things come through that are the like, you know, copy paste message to your legislator. Right. They circulate on Instagram, they circulate in email, and they can be a great starting point. Like if you want to just be reminded the actual name of the bill, because they all have fancy names or you're figuring out who your who the sponsors are or whatever. But when you actually go to write that message, if they get, even if it's a thousand emails and they all look exactly the same, it's going to count like one in their brains, <laughs> right? As it would to any of us when we're going through our inbox and we start to see a bunch of things that look the same. Whereas if you write a couple sentences that pertain to you as an individual and your experience, it is going to go a lot further. And it's probably going to have more nuance and it's probably going to be potentially even something that's interesting enough that it gets read on the right. floor. That by, happens a lot. As a, a legislator is making their case for or against a particular piece of legislation, which, yeah, that happens often. I think if I had something to offer as we kick off this next 45 days of following the legislative session, that would be a recommendation. Mm -hmm. I think that's really good advice, Allie. And I hope that people feel empowered to take action and participate in the session. We elect these people to represent us. The state capitol is the people's house. So take a, you know, take a tour, um, see what's going on up there and make yourself heard. Yeah. On that note, next week, when you come back from a long weekend on Tuesday morning, we will have an episode for you where we are talking to Katie McKellar, a senior reporter with the Utah News Dispatch. You have heard her before on this show when she was a housing reporter at the Deseret News. We're going to lay out exactly what the legislature has indicated their priorities are for this session, what kind of bills we should expect, what kind of tone we should expect from them, what isn't isn't on the docket. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be a good way to kind of get you geared up. Yep. Let the games begin. Okay, let's do pick of the week and get out of here. Let's hit it. Okay. My pick of the week is something that I learned just this morning from a Carter Williams story over at KSL. Did you know, Emily Means, that Utah was one of the last states to recognize Martin Luther King Jr. Day as a holiday, which, of course, is this upcoming Monday, which is why I'm saying this now? I did not know that, Allie. Do you want to guess when we made MLK Day a holiday in this state? I'm a little nervous, too. Um, I'm going to say the early aughts. The year 2000. Really? 
Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting yep. for how often our legislative leaders quote Martin Luther King. <laughs> My goodness. Well, and on that note, I just want to say, and I need to preface this by saying shout out to everyone on the Martin Luther King Jr. Day Commission in Utah who put together a toolkit for learning, who continue to do the important work of figuring out how the state will honor the legacy of Dr. King and celebrate this holiday and do learning. Well, we're in a moment where at the same time, we have to say, like, we have three different legislators right now who are planning to file or have already filed bills that would undo or walk back the work of diversity, equity and inclusion institutions in our public universities and schools. Okay, so like that's the moment we're in. But my way that I like to celebrate MLK Day is by reading Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail. Because it is, I think, one of the frequently misquoted or misappropriated texts in United States history, and also one of the most seminal and scathing and deeply relevant. And so you won't necessarily find it in some of the MLK Day toolkits that are being circulated in the state because it is quite scathing. And that's exactly why I think it's the primary source text that we should all take time to read. Um, So that's my pick of the week. Very thoughtful. And shout out to everyone on that commission who is truly doing the Lord's work, trying to square where we're at with what needs to be done. Good pick, Allie. Thank you. What do you have for us? More homework. (laughs) Oh, God, we are instructive today. Yes, yes. I just want to remind everyone to please shovel your sidewalks um, after the snow squalls we've had this week. It's actually a Salt Lake City ordinance to shovel your sidewalk within 24 hours after Mm -hmm. a storm. And specifically, the whole width of your sidewalk and also the ADA ramps out to the street. You could get fined and ticketed if you don't do it. Um, But, you know, in more of a a carrot approach, uh, it's just a really good neighborly thing to do. It's already difficult enough to walk around the sidewalks in this city with all the construction that's going on. So please, let's let's uh, let's clean up the sidewalks and make them accessible to everybody. Yeah. And as someone who likes to walk around, if you wouldn't mind also throwing a little salt down, that would be lovely. That'd be nice. That'd (laughs) That'd be be nice. We'd really appreciate that. Yeah. All right. One more thing before we go. We have a special sponsored segment for you right now. It is CityCast Andrea Salenzi in conversation with Mick G, the head of school at Roland Hall. Take it away, Andrea. I'm Andrea Slenzi from CityCast, and today we're going to learn about a local school that has a legacy of inspiring students who make a difference. Roland Hall is an independent co-educational day school in Salt Lake City, serving students in preschool through 12th grade. McGee is Roland Hall's 20th head of school. Welcome to CityCast Salt Lake. Thank you. Thanks for having me on this morning. I have an easy question for you right off the bat. You're not going to have to think hard about this one at all. What (laughs) is your educational philosophy? I think the condensed version is relationships are essential. Kids don't naturally come to school every day saying, you know, I just want to learn everything that my teacher has to say. It's it's about building relationships and building the community. And when kids feel like they're in a community where they're safe and they can 
you know, speak their mind and contribute and they've got a relationship with the teacher, I think they learn better. And then the other part of it really leans into, I think, meaning. Education uh, needs to be meaningful for students as well. It's not just about doing these things to get to the next thing or because your teacher says so. If they can see meaning in the things that they are learning and an application of like why it's important and where it's going to be helpful in life, I think they become better learners. So how do you see Roland Hall connecting to and serving the larger Salt Lake community? We've been here 156 years in this city, so longer actually than the state of Utah has existed. I think sometimes people's version of that is, well, you serve a tiny portion of the students in the committee and you're doing your own thing because you're private. That's not the way I see it. You know, I never use the word private school. We are independent in that we are independently funded. And so we're just offering something that's a little bit different. In terms of the learning process, it's not all what happens within our walls here. It's really about, you know, are we contributing? Can we provide value in terms of partnerships throughout this region? Would you be able to share some of the partnerships you have going on right now within the Salt Lake community? Some of the educational things are things like we have a climate science course here. Obviously, climate science is not a Ron Hall thing. It is a international thing. And it's got its regional challenges too, with the Great Salt Lake and heat mapping issues in this state. And so that group is learning about climate science, but they're also working with other groups throughout the region. So they work with the Great Salt Lake Institute. They have met with Mayor Mendenhall and the city to talk about uh, city planning. Our seventh graders have been working with the new Utah State History Museum to attract students of their own age. So who better to ask? Roland Hall has an emphasis on authentic learning. Could you spell out some examples of how that plays out in the classroom, what that looks like? So, you know, the definition that I use is real work. A lot of school was not real work just preparing second graders for third grade and just preparing high school seniors for college is not enough. When kids learn things for a short period, so, you know, I'm, I'm learning this particular unit of work, there's going to be a test on it. And that's the, that's the end point. It's short term stuff. So meaning is what it's about. We certainly teach skills, but how do you apply those skills to new situations? So for me, authentic learning is about doing the thing. We have kids right now who are doing research that is being published, not in kid journals, but in real journals. They're working with uh, scientists. We have an internship program for our high school kids, and they go off and they do real work. But we have one for fifth graders. We have a fifth grade internship program where students apply to do real work. We keep them within the school. They're not doing open heart surgery, just in case anyone's worried about that. But they are doing that within the school, but they have to apply for the job. They work with people at different parts of the school. That's the area in which we're trying to create authentic experiences. And they don't have to be as grandiose as like research thesis. We have kids doing that, but it doesn't have to be that for a six-year-old. I'm thinking of a project where students designed, this is a second grade project where students designed a classroom so that kids could learn better. So Roland Hall invites families of students' grades pre-K through 12th to attend a weekly admission tour. What advice do you have for families who are just seeing the facilities for the first time and trying to see if it's going to be a fit for them? If I was digging around campus and I was really deciding, is this the right school for my daughter? I would ask if faculty are engaged and fulfilled and feel like they belong and feel like they can contribute. I want to know what's the school doing really well and what could the school do better? And then I would ask, what's it like to be a new student here? 
I would ask those questions. That's Mick G from Roland Hall, their 20th head of school, making it clear that the future of education is really exciting and it's happening at Roland Hall. Thank you so much for joining us at CityCast Salt Lake. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Families of students in grades pre-K through 12 are invited to attend a weekly admission tour. Go to rollinhall.org slash visit to RSVP. That is all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Our executive producer is Emily Means. Our producers are Ivana Martinez and Lizzie Goldsmith. Our newsletter editor is Teri Ria, and our host is me, Ali Bayarta. Music is by the local band Mitochondria with additional music from all the kimonos. We are off Monday for Martin Luther King Jr. Day. We will be back Tuesday morning with more from around this city. Have a great weekend. <laughs>